This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to the Glass Cannon Network, the premier source for role-playing game entertainment. Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Network. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. It is Wednesday, February 28th, 2024, and I'm your old pal, Joey O'Brien. And I'm Troy. My throat hurts. LaValley. Is the Troy a little bit sick today? I feel a little shitty, man. I woke up with a sore throat, and usually after nine cups of coffee, it goes away, but it's still there. <laughs> you uh, just burn it out with the acid. And I forgot to brush my teeth before cannon fodder, so it's just it's just a real unpleasant feeling in my mouth. Something's going around. My daughter is homesick right now. She's right on the other side of this door. Watching uh, some sort of cartoon at the moment. I said, bother me if you need anything, even if I'm doing a show. Wow. Bother me. So if that happens, Troy, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to vamp. I can vamp. I can vamp. Or we can you're- just cut and edit it up. <laughs> yeah, but I don't like editing video. You know how I feel about that. That's Keep true. it raw. That's true. Raw. I don't like I don't like doing extra work. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's like- fair. <laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. Let me ask you a quick question. I just yeah. had a dentist appointment recently, had a situation come up, and I'm curious. I don't drink any coffee. You oh. drink a lot of coffee. Mm-hmm. Does your dentist ever bring up your coffee drinking? Uh, d- does it have acidic properties that kind of eat away at your teeth? Is that a thing? Because my dentist was like, uh, do, you, do you drink a lot of coffee? And I was like, no. And they were like, well, there seems to be some acid-like huh. uh, deterioration in, in like one of your molars or whatever. Um, I was like, I drink two bottles of wine every morning. Like, is that weird? <laughs> is uh, that acidic enough? <laughs> no, but coffee. Does that ever come up uh, with your dentist? No, t- teeth are so weird, man. It's like geneticus, geneticus, genetics, geneticus. That sounds like a cool name for like. I'm a, writing that down for a potential character uh, name. Uh, sir, sir, I am geneticus. Geneticus. <laughs> I love Flaming it. sphere. Oh. Um, <laughs> No, it's like genetic. Gen, I can't fucking say it. genetics. You're, I have like very strong uh, teeth, um, and I brush. I'm very good at brushing twice a day. Um, if anything, I brush too hard. So over time, I started to wear away the enamel on some of my top teeth, and I had to get like fillings to fill in the spaces that I wore away. But uh, no, I have to do whitening every once in a while just so I don't have brown fucking teeth. But mm. I drink a lot of iced coffee, which is through a straw uh, for like my midday coffee. And so that cuts down. But in the morning, it's tricky. You're just washing your teeth with brown. Every time I brush my 19 kids' teeth, I'm like, look at these beautiful white teeth. Uh, it's so nice to have white teeth. 
So I think you would have been surprised. This past weekend, I ha- went out to a nice dinner with uh, with my sisters, actually. There was oh, nice. a celebration, a special Thanks occasion. Thanks for the invite. And so we went – me and my two sisters <laughs> and Troy went out to dinner on Saturday night. So on Saturday night, we went out. We had a nice meal. And uh, we were planning on, on hanging out afterwards, going out afterwards. Toward the end of the meal uh, – and it was sushi. So, like, I wasn't feeling, like, bloated, tired. But I was feeling, like, a little run down from the day. And I was okay. like, we got to go out after this and have some drinks. Like, I kind of want to – I need a little boost. And uh, I was like, you know what? I want to do something I never do that, like – I don't know if you guys do it on occasion when we go out, uh, you know, for GCN stuff, uh, GCN hangs. But I got – an espresso. Dude, I knew you were going to say it. I never get an espresso. We but do I was that like, all the time when we go shot. to like a nice restaurant. We always, yeah. I always get the espresso on the way. Yeah, I didn't know if you guys got like coffees or cappuccinos or uh, whatever. Dude, but St. Elmo's, it's always like a little espresso, a little tea and Marie on the side, and two more <laughs> St. Elmo's Cokes. <laughs> <laughs> two more St. Elmo's Cokes. Uh, anyway, it was, uh, it was really good. It was, yeah. real, and I left that restaurant like walking on air. It was crazy. I was oh. like, let's go. And like, you don't drink coffee. That's crazy. That's like, yeah. it's as concentrated coffee taste as you can get. Well, it's not that I hate the taste of coffee. It's not that. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I never got in the habit. That, yeah. That's all it is. And, uh, and I just, I was like, this, this is really good. I thought about the espresso martini, but then I was like, I feel like that's just gonna, <laughs> Uh, you know, early in the night, I don't know. It's going to just send me down the wrong path because I already was feeling a little tipsy. I mean, I already had already had a couple drinks at dinner, so I went just with the espresso. It was Dude, great. Espresso martini is the new. It's like the new hotness. That's yeah. the thing now. Everybody's making their espresso martini. Let me ask you this. I know there's a lot of people listening. Uh, what's your What's your poop situation in the morning? You wake up and just poop without having to drink coffee. Uh, I wake up and poop without having to drink coffee. And, uh, Good, but it's funny you mentioned it. It's funny you mentioned it. The morning after the espresso, <laughs> it was truly something horrible. We were yeah. staying in a hotel, uh, and I was like, I, I can't, uh, I can't do this uh, around uh, anybody that I know. And so I went to like the public toilet in, in like the lobby of the hotel, uh-huh. walk in. It's got three urinals wide open and one stall, <laughs> dress shoes sitting in. I was like, God. <laughs> Damn it. And like, I really, really had to go. So yeah, it definitely did something to my system. But no, yeah, normally I'm very regular. Well, you, you, very eat regular. Of, you eat a lot of fiber. I do. I love That's my fiber. Fibers. All right, let's do a show here. Let's get back to no, I want uh, to talk to the, about to your bathroom fun. habits. Now. I want <laughs> that to be the fun. Next week, let's have some more questions uh, from listener mail about Joe's poop. <laughs> yeah. Any questions in the comments on our BMs? <laughs> All right, let's get into it. We got news today. We got some fun stuff. We're going to talk about the tour. Uh, we're going to talk about GCP episode 23 of Campaign 2. Got a couple comments on that that I want to go into. Uh, and mostly, uh, though, we'll do some We Are Stupid on that, which is not, which not a lot, but I want to talk about some fun topics that that brought up. Okay. And then, of course, we're going to have a nice juicy listener mouth. So let's talk news Juice. first. Uh, the thing you wanted to talk about first, you said it to me right before you, we went on air. You were like, I want to talk about the tour. You, you announced the tour. You announced the city. The tickets are up. Talk to me about what's going on. Uh, man, St. Paul is flying off the shelves from what I hear. I just, yeah. I love it. I love you know it. what's really flying off the shelves is Austin. But, you know, I wasn't here last week. Uh, I was out of town for a couple of days and Sydney stepped in for your old buddy. And I was like, oh, I bet you they didn't really hammer the tour because we did State of the Nation. Then you and I did our like post State of the Nation chat. And then I haven't been on in a couple of weeks. But mm-hmm. we've got now uh, six, one, two, three, four, five, six shows on sale because Toronto obviously has already sold out. But we released a, a six show Nashville last week. So let's talk about it uh, to make sure you know the tickets are on sale for the first 
seven cities, although one is already sold out, and we've got the rest of the tickets are going to be coming out sometime in the next couple of weeks. Kansas City, Missouri on Thursday, April 25th. When we went to St. Louis last year at the after party, what do you think? 90% of the people have been like, you know, I came up from KC. You need to come to KC. You need to come to KC is what we heard over and over again. Over and over again, they told all of us. So I said, all right. We'll come to KC. We're coming to KC. You better sell that out or we'll go back to St. Louis because St. Louis sells out. Uh, St. Louis uh, VIP hang was also awesome. Oh. It was one of my favorite ever. Like just a, it was just like a crew. I mean, look, all the nice people, the VIPs are cool. But this one just had it just had such nice people. It's that, Midwest, like, man. Yeah, I don't know what it was. Yeah, it was the Midwest. It was the Midwest thing, I guess. I don't That's know. That's what they do. They're it just great. They're very kind, or at least they, they're good at feigning kind. Right. right. Um, Midwest yeah, nice. We're coming to Kansas City on Thursday, April 25th. Two days later, we're in Austin, Texas. That show might be the hottest seller, I think, right now. Nice. Uh, Austin, Texas. We haven't been back in Texas, well, we didn't Texas go to in Texas. a while. Yeah. And we've only done Dallas before. I think we've done two Dallas shows, so I can't wait to get back and to I Austin. And I only did one. So I haven't been to Texas since before COVID. Oh, shit. Actually, so that reminds me, I think we've done three Dallas shows because we did well anyways yeah you missed the last one and then in May Thursday May 23rd we're in Vancouver British Columbia for our second Canadian tour stop this year that show is selling really well obviously Thursday night I wanted to get Saturday but come on Vancouver we know Seattle and Portland you guys can make the drive up spend the night take Friday off two days later we're going to be in St. Paul Minnesota on Saturday May 25th uh, even though we didn't sell it out last year I'm coming back uh, and Eric Mona lives in uh, Minnesota now maybe we'll get a Mona appearance <laughs> And then Thursday, June 20th, we're in Denver. We're in Skid's hometown. Now, listen, I know it's a Thursday, but that show is the slowest selling show of all. People <gasps> begged us to come back to Denver, Denver? and I was like, ah, I think Say I'll give Denver. So. I was like, I think I'll give Denver two years. We, we sold it out, but it was, it, you know, it was like, it was great. Let's do it every two years. And they said, yeah, they were pressuring me. I'm like, we'll come back to Denver. We're going to be there. You best sell it out or I'll wait three years before we come <gasps> back. Don't make me do it. It'll hurt Skid's feelings. Sell that show out. And then, of course, uh, Saturday, June 22nd, <laughs> tickets went on sale last Friday for Nashville. And this is going to be part of a crazy weekend. That's another thing we could talk about, dude. The Nashville Retreat. The Nashville Retreat. GCM well, I mean, Retreat. we can talk about it, but it's sold out. It's sold out. Number one, Nashville. We uh, we have been talking about I mentioned it on the State of the Nash. We talked about it a little bit on the post Nash FOD, and then we released it first to our subscribers on Discord. I know some people were upset about that, but you have to understand, like, when we're doing something big like that, it has to go out immediately to our paying customers, people that we know are going to convert sales for us because this is a huge risk. We have to make sure that it's out there for our paying customers. By the time we went to put it on regular social media, it completely sold out. So we started a wait list. We're in talks with the hotel right now to release more packages. But uh this is going to be a fucking weekend, dude. We arrive in Nashville Friday morning. And we'll go over to this resort and uh, Friday is going to be like board game. We're buying like tons and tons of board games to bring in a U-Haul up from New York. Board game, cocktail party, open bar, past hors d'oeuvres Friday night, Saturday, more gaming, probably more board games and living card games. But obviously we'll get into some more RPGs. Luxury bus comes and picks you up if you are going to Glass Cannon Live. If you got the VIP experience, which you could purchase through the Nashville retreat, luxury bus picks you up, drives you to the show. You hang out with us pre-show. You watch one of the best shows of the year. Luxury bus takes you back. 
there's 19 restaurants in this place and three pools, so I'm sure things will get weird late Saturday night. <laughs> and it was so successful, and we're going to try and do this in other cities. You know, this was kind of like at the top of my list of things that I wanted to do this year, and we're trying to find the right place to do it. I was on the fence about coming back to Nashville because I didn't know. It's it's like people who live there obviously are going to come, but like we want to entice people to travel out there to sell out a big show like that, and so the retreat was a perfect fit. Uh, who knows? Maybe we can do another one in the fall certainly we'll do another one uh next year but uh be on the lookout if we're able to open up more packages we'll we'll continue uh taking names on the on the wait list very very exciting come see glass cannon live what's going on with uh merch there's some new merch that's hitting the store right in time for toronto right yeah, uh, we're going to launch two new pieces at Toronto that will be publicly available the Monday after that show. We've got the original OG GCP hat. I'm not wearing it right now, but it looks similar, uh, with the, like the GCP and the little, uh, neon green and the P. Uh, we had them completely recreated. I sent them like the last original hat that I had to the uh, designers and they like restitched it to match it. Uh, and then of course the, uh, the bird shirt, uh, which is, the bird shirts actually happening. And you know, it looked, I have, does it drawing. look terrible? Dude, I have your drawing right here, uh, because I had to like <laughs> scan it and send it over. Let and, me see uh, it. Let me see uh, it. I have your bird drawing right here. And it, I mean, it looks real shitty, right? It looks <laughs> comically shitty, but right when you do, drew it, I was like, that's a merch idea. <laughs> Even when I said that, I'm like, are people going to buy the, the shirt looks fucking rad. It's black <laughs> with that image, like reversed in white with a little tiny planet die on the top back of the shirt. It, it's a pretty great shirt. And talk about a conversation starter. Cause it's so ridiculous. It looks like an early Nirvana album. Uh, like what people the going, hell what is the on hell? your shirt? What band is that? Well, it's a little known podcast. Uh, so anyways, that's going to, that's going to drop as well. And there'll hopefully be new merch all year. And uh, we're already talking gen con but uh you know we're also talking about you know we had mentioned this before doing more strange aeons like i really want to get through strange aeons as fast as humanly possible i'm editing the shit out of this thing to try and really finish this so that we can do a new glass clan and live experience maybe not next year but the year after and uh so i'm thinking about supplementing these tour dates with like at least one <laughs> i don't want to wed, wed myself i'd like to do one live uh, twitch a month of strange ions that could be like three hours long and you combine that with a couple shows a month we'll fly through this it's also been so long since we played like i just want to play so i'm kicking around the idea of doing like a uh, glass cannon live uh kit tour kickoff live stream before toronto just to kind of do a big recap get everybody back into the flow get everybody who isn't caught up a chance to like i don't want to listen to all those shows listen to my recap jump into a sexy session and then just hit the ground running in toronto and then maybe before casey and austin do another live show and then we'll finish book four hopefully before christmas and and then do a, a quick book five and six i don't know we'll see that's my plan is to really just like streamline this so that we can rethink the live show experience um all right last thing is i'm gonna be streaming on friday uh new game for those of you that are not uh up on it pacific drive uh i think it's called pacific drive has dropped on ps5 
Is it called Pacific Drive? Yes, Pacific Drive. Uh, I, I'm going to stream that on Friday. So Friday at noon, I uh, really wanted to do Helldivers 2. That was so much fun. Thank you for everybody who came out and hung out to watch that. Uh, me and Paula and Mary Lou and Sydney playing Helldivers. We just couldn't get the schedules together today. Sydney's actually on a film shoot this week, and that really kind of killed it. So we're going to try maybe next week uh, to bring back more Helldivers. So I'm trying. I'm trying. But in the meantime, uh, I'm going to check out this weird new survival game, uh, which takes place in the Pacific Northwest where all you have is like a station wagon and you have to figure out how to survive in a post-apocalyptic PNW. Dude, you're always playing cool games. I saw the logo <laughs> for them. I'm like, what the fuck is that game? What is going on? Is this like on Steam? You're not doing console, right? It is PS5. It just oh, came no out shit. on PS. Okay. It was on Steam before. And now it just came out on PS5, which is why I'm doing it because I'm like – I love to play stuff on PS5. So, dude, speaking of PS5, do you want to talk a little Shadow of the Erd Tree? Oh, dude, so excited for this! So excited! All right, so Shadow of the Erd Tree, for those that don't know, is the Elden Ring DLC, which is blowing up. What is it coming out in June? Coming out in June, like it. You know, Elden Ring came out last February. A year later, they announced the DLC, and it's not coming out until June. So it's gonna be uh, massive, apparently. It's the lar- it's like a whole new game. Like a whole new game. The largest DLC they've ever released. Uh, anyway, we're really excited. I think uh, we'll probably both be streaming it. It's just going to be, it's just going to be great. Yeah. Uh, you know what we should do, dude, is like in May, early May, because that we, you know, you've got to get so far into the game to, or to access the DLC. I can't remember where it is, but I'm sure it's like, is, is it out there? Do they half. have the news where you have to be to yeah, unlock from, it? From the commercial, they've, they've already deduced from the trailer, like where you have to enter. And I just, <laughs> I can't remember the lore of the game because I mainlined it and then just like erased that part of my memory. But I think like beginning of May, you and I should start brand new characters and get them ready for the DLC and then do like dueling streams of this. Yeah. Because, you know, it'll be great. It'll be so so hot. I think that you can't have too much Elden Ring content on your uh, on your uh, streaming platform. That'd be fun to do. It's also just such a goddamn fun game. It's such a great, great game. Not only to play, but to stream and to interact and to hang out. And like, it's just really, really fun. And I'm I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, yeah. So so stay tuned. Uh, I, I love the idea of starting a month ahead of time and starting yeah. a new Elden Ring stream and just starting to crank through a new story. And I'm excited to play without having to worry about platinum, you know, because when totally. I play it, I'm like, I've got to be, I can't miss anything, can't do anything. That's, that's how I always play it, because it's the better way to play it. <laughs> so it's just more fun. I'm excited to play the Joe way. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the Joe way, actually, there's this isn't related at all. I just was looking for a segue. One more piece of news, Patreon. Um, mm-hmm. So by now, I imagine anyone watching this show knows that we have a new subscription service. We uh, created a brand new white glove subscription service that we launched in September. And uh, obviously with the state of the nation, we announced that everything we've ever done is now on there. Like 99.9% of everything we've done is on there. So no longer do you have to go anywhere else to find our content. You subscribe, you get access to everything and it's there, even stuff that's freely publicly available elsewhere. That never happened on Patreon. Um, the migration, the ability to migrate from Patreon to the new service without, uh, you know, having to pay the new prices. The deadline to be able to do that is March 6th. So you've got a little over a week to do that. I, I sent out a message to everyone that's still active on Patreon. I posted on Patreon just to let people know if you're holding out, 
we don't know why why you're not why you're not making the jump over there. And if we if there are good reasons, let us know because help we can assuage your fears or perhaps uh, explain to you why this is going to be a better transition. A day is going to come when we're not going to be able to post on Patreon anymore. So transition is inevitable. This is March six is going to be the last chance to be able to lock in grandfather in your Patreon price to the new prices. So if you're still subscribing on Patreon and you haven't made the move, check your Patreon email or go there. You'll see the the walkthrough link. It's three easy steps and you really only have to do two of them if you don't use Discord in order to uh, translate your Patreon membership over to there. If you're an annual subscriber, it counts all of that credit over. It's super, super easy and and you're going to have to do it uh, sooner than later. So you might as well uh, take advantage of the the grandfathered in opportunity. Yeah. It also helps us too because we are – the more people that we get over before – you know, that first week of March, uh, the better it is uh, financially for us. So it, it is yeah. very beneficial to us if you make that transition as soon as possible, because after that, uh, we, we don't have an exact deadline time, but at a certain point, the Patreon is going to be basically shut down with new content. So uh, it's definitely going to help all of us that if you have a couple seconds to put together to do this, just get it done, get it off your plate, and then it'll be over with. Uh, all right. Are you done? I don't want to talk about news anymore. Uh, I want to talk about the Glass yeah, yeah, I guess I'm done. I want to talk about playing pretend. Uh, All right, let's talk about TCP episode 23. (laughs) When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com uh, obviously opening with the fight against the centaur woman and her strange sidekick, which we'll talk more about that in the actual uh, We Are Stupid, because that's kind of like the, the chunky combat part. I do want to skip kind of past that into the end to this amazing corridor, this amazing corridor of paintings that uh, really is the thing I was talking about, basically, when I said, like, this happens in all of these mystery RPGs. It's like, no matter what you do, there ends up being a point where it's like, ah, Aha, and everything gets kind of dumped out in front of you. Was that this moment to you in terms of like as you're preparing and reading this AP, is there a room full of paintings that sort of catches you up on the story if you weren't putting it together already? Or is this something you kind of crafted to uh, draw us into the story a little bit more? 
Um, the idea of the, the room full of paintings is, is from the AP. They just don't really describe what's in the paintings. They mm-hmm. give you, they kind of lead you into, uh, like this cursory thing. Maybe painting one is this to painting two, but then they just kind of skip ahead. And so they, they tell you this is an opportunity to reveal things. So it's like, all right, let's really, let's really lay it out there. Yeah. Um, you know, this, it's so important to, uh, the, you know, the stuff that you know that you just assume the players will figure out, which obviously you guys aren't figuring out. And so I was like, how do I, how do I reveal stuff while still asking a few more questions and, uh, leaving a couple dangling things out there that they're still trying to piece together, but also tie it into all the clues that you've had so far. And I don't know if you guys, uh, we'll see maybe in this week's episode, if you've started to connect some of this stuff to stuff you've already learned because there's just been so many different things. But, you know, it's a great opportunity to reveal stuff that otherwise, unless you find a journal or you read the adventure path afterwards, you otherwise wouldn't know. I wanted to be really forthcoming with the information you got here. Yeah, it was great. And and, and a really good moment to um, lay some of that stuff down. And obviously, you want us to connect it to things we've already learned before. And I mean, that's not going to happen, at least for me. <laughs> so uh, why don't you speak to the audience for a second? Like you laid laid this out in episode 23. What are some of the key takeaways you want the audience to take out of this explanation of the of the room? What are some of those those key elements that you think are important for them to know to really sink their teeth into the plot? Well, you know, obviously the, the figure we're looking at, it's pretty clearly, uh, Kanipo. And so, you know, you've just been hearing about this ominous figure, Kanipo the Slim, hearing, seeing idealized statues, seeing shadows down alleyways. I wanted to really, uh, lay it on that this is here, here is what this person, uh, what this entity may be and to show their, their story having been like, kind of created in fully formed. Like there was no, it doesn't look like there were, it was like an immaculate conception the way right. it was like formed. Begotten. And then to have it, you know, see its life cycle and see that it, it was like struggling with things and it's battle with the elves. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to tie it into sort of past Galarian history and, and, and that's all in the, the AP is sort of its, its dealings with the elves and also explain a little bit more about how the transition between worlds and planes work and how even an entity as powerful as, uh, as you assume Kanipo to be didn't just always have this ability, like discovered the ability to uh, come into the material plane and then was trapped and had to spend years coming back out, you know? So, you know, I did, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm being very careful with my words here. Cause I don't want to say too much. Cause there's also stuff in those paintings that I know went right over your head that well, I say it. I know I'm not going to say it because I want you guys to, you want it to go over the audience's head. You no, want it to go over I, our head. I don't want to tell you what it is. And you're sitting right here. And, but there's certain <laughs> things that I'm like, you know, I don't think they've realized this. And we, you know, spoiler I'm, alert, I'm, we've I'm, already, I'm completely gone. Troy. We've recorded other episodes and I know you've still missed things. Um, and so, yeah, I don't. I don't want to say too too much, but everything I wanted to say is is in the end, in the end of the episode. Well, I'm sure that there's going to be. Well, just leave it in the comments. Just spoil it in the YouTube no, don't comments. Do that. Let us know what. <laughs> Skid'll read them. Ruin it for Skid. <laughs> You'll ruin it for Skid. Don't make him sad. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, that was a cool dump there, and 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 really cool fun dump. thing. Cool dump, and a good thing to uh, to sink your teeth into, because the. You know, what I, my key takeaways from it are, I just, I, I love this. 
I love the other mysteries that it opens up, ironically enough. Things like, uh, what did the elves do to this dude? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I, it wasn't clear to me, like, why he embarks on this hatred of elves and killing elves and haunting and murdering elves. And then, like, uh, what is it exactly that he is seeking from these people he's experimenting on or from the elves. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's very uh, important. Like, you know, what's yeah, going you could think there? it's like immortality or something like that or the long life of that elves have or something. But like he's, he's just taking humans too, and like uh, other races that are not known for their longevity. So, yeah, it's just very – They very imprisoned strange. him. They, they, they kicked him out of the material plane and imprisoned him in the first world. Like – there's, there's like a, a revenge there. He's, he's no, but they're, they're but they mad. did that because he was hunting them down. Yeah, it's yeah, a I chicken mean, in the, the egg scenario. Fit the crime, but like they just made sure. it worse. Well, yeah, um, for but sure. I love the idea that like after millennia, was it trying- basically like solitary? It was basically solitary confinement. Like they put him in solitary confinement. You're going to make yeah. a a madman that is you know going to be dead set on destroying you. Yeah, and it, it, while they're sitting in there, they're just becoming stronger and experimenting with stuff and, 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 and gaining powers. And I love the idea that they finally break out and get back to Galarian and the elves are gone. It just shows you like how long ago this happened and that it was still around when the elves came back. Like this thing and, and, and you and imagine as a player, you're like, are we going to fight this fucking thing? Like how right, are we going right. to? I mean, it's basically like deity level. You know, yeah. like like when you're talking about those kind of time frames, it's like mythic. Yeah. In, in terms of the scope of his store of its story. So I don't it's know. Intense, it, man. It is. It is very intense. Uh, I wanted to uh, we're getting to we are stupid in a second. We'll talk all about the combat and everything. But I did want to uh, shut out a couple comments that I saw on the YouTube uh, video that I really loved. Uh Nilok, uh, Nilok Harrow, uh, wrote that, uh, wanted to say, I love how Skid is role playing the psychic class with the entity taking over when he unleashes his psyche. It's very fun. I, I, I love that comment because it's something I've been impressed by early on. I love when someone takes an interpretation of an, a mechanical class or a mechanical feature of a class and really brings it to life in a way that feels purely narrative. And uh, I think Skid has done an amazing job with that so far. And I'm really curious to see where that goes. I mean, that brings up a favorite, like uh, my favorite scene from this episode and one that I've, I mean, my favorite scene from the last five episodes is really that uh, Brother Ramius talking to Buggles and starting to try to draw out from him, like, when did you first hear from this uh Kula Khan or whatever the, the name is. I might be uh, butchering it there. But um, when did he first come to you? Did he protect you from, you know, whatever uh, trauma you were dealing with? And uh, just starting to kind of plumb the depths of what's going on in his psyche is is a really cool mystery to, to unfold within the characters. Uh, because I, I don't know. I don't want to turn a blind eye to this, like, sweet little goblin who is, like, so beaten down and so um, – it's the word I'm looking for. He's so meek, right? Yeah. So made meek by his upbringing. Uh, but then every once in a while becomes this like other person. It's, it's frightening to be around. And, you know, it's definitely something you don't want to, you don't want to ignore. So, yeah, it was a great, it was a great moment. And I see it being commented on a lot, like that moment between Ramius and Buggles. You've got to find those moments in the, especially in combat heavy episodes um, to like 
have those conversations and, and mine a little bit of a back, backstory, especially for characters who, as we've already established, already kind of knew each other before this, but we haven't seen them getting to know each other. Now is where they're getting to know each other. So finding those moments is clutch. And I love this idea. I'm really interested to see if Skid mines this sort of like, you know, you've got this split between Buggles and the Kulu Akan and Buggles is so meek and powerless and, and he doesn't gain power until this. I want to see Buggles like start to, become powerful in his own right, whether it like being inspired by this voice or um, just finding it within himself um, so that it's not always just back and forth. So that, that would be an interesting journey. Um, yeah, absolutely. If, if he uh, survives uh, this trip. <laughs> I know it's so deadly. It's like, what are we going to fight this thing? Like we can't fight this thing here. What is going on here? So anyway, we got to find out uh, more, more episodes to come on that. Um, at Tyler Comstock on the YouTube uh, video commented, I need the healing scene animated. And I, <laughs> it, it cracked me up because it made me think of the Talitha part where, where Brother Raby has failed over and over again on the treat wounds and he starts smoking a cigarette just trying to put her back together. <laughs> uh, and it reminded me, we, we haven't animated a scene in a while. Uh, that's something that we should do. Uh, we I don't should. know if you still talk to that, uh, the artist that did it before, but uh, that's something we should do one of these days. Um yeah, you know, maybe we should just, I always wanted to do those more often. Um, just like budget constraints, we can't do it, but now we, we've got a little more juice in our uh, coffers. Maybe we could, we could get those going. I love those. I mean, when I, I look back too. at some of those, the Barry Broadfinger one, the hairdressers <laughs> and prostitutes, like I'll, I'll sit, they'll just come up on my YouTube and I'll watch them every single time and laugh <laughs> and laugh like it's the first time I'm seeing it. We got to find those, those moments. Uh, agreed. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's jump into the mechanics of the fight. We are stupid. Let's talk about Pathfinder Second Edition and how we can get better. Oh no, this is the wrong one. Uh, I I did this last week too. <laughs> I said let's go to We Are Stupid, and I played the listener mail drop. I don't know why. <laughs> I feel like uh, you know Nick was like working on a We Are Stupid drop. Uh, he uh-huh. just hasn't gotten it yet, so I haven't uh, gotten the final one yet. So hopefully one of these days we have it. All right, We Are Stupid. stupid. Uh, we're gonna go right out of the gate talking about focus points and focus powers uh this was brought up in the comments in fact nila caro brought it up uh as well saying i don't know if anyone else mentioned in the comments already but i heard it mentioned a couple of times that focus spells or abilities were a per day resource they aren't yes we are aware of that Uh, i have to pass this off to sydney i think sydney just might have said something in passing that alluded to that idea and this is what uh what uh, Professor Eric said, I think it was actually not in episode. I think it was on the FOD. Professor Eric commented uh, that Sydney seemed like she might have been misunderstanding that focus point recovery uh, was not per day and she might be limiting herself. Focus points recharge as part of a 10 minute exploration activity. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to bring this up here. I haven't. Sorry, I'm going to share screen with you. I go. remember when I first started playing, I, uh, I was in a uh, very short-lived uh, Agents of Edgewatch campaign, and I played a druid just because I hate druids, and I wanted to like see if I could like them. And I could not wrap my head around focus spells to begin with <laughs> because it yeah. was such a change from first edition. And I ne- I think I eventually figured it out, but we didn't play long enough for me to really dig into it. But I remember thinking, like, I don't know if I like these. Well, basically, they they to me, I think I like them. I think that they bridge an interesting gap between the old school, um, the old school, like memorizing your spells, preparing your memorizing spells. your spells, spells per day, that kind of thing. And then the like what I would call the D&D fourth edition approach of 
uh, encounter powers, daily powers, at will powers, right? Mm-hmm. So the at will powers are your your standard combat powers that you can use over and over again, your cantrips, that kind of thing. But then the this brings in the encounter powers from fourth edition, which I thought was a great idea. It's like mechanically, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, I'm sorry. Narratively, the encounter power seems a little bit foolish. I think what 2E did was did an interesting job of making it feel a little bit more narrative focused. This is a spell that is innate and generates from you. But in order to use it again, you need 10 minutes to r- do a refocus activity. And that essentially makes it an encounter power. It's something you can use in an encounter. You're not going to be able to use it a second time unless you have a second focus point. And you'll be able to use it multiple times per day as long as you have enough time to, re- you know, uh, to refocus in between. Right. Which you almost always do between encounters. Yeah. And so uh, I have been loving it in Blood of the Wild. So in Blood of the Wild, uh, I play a character that has a focus pool and, and, it, and it's not part of the base class of that character. I got a focus pool by doing an archetype. So it was cool. And I'm able to use it to use this one power that I can use in an encounter or out of an encounter, but I always have to rest for 10 minutes and refocus to use it again. And I've been really enjoying it because it doesn't limit you to like, is this the time today like that i could use this or should i be saving it longer it's nice to know like you can use this and you can get it back as long as you have a little bit of time to refocus so anyway uh we we threw that up there uh it is the refocus power it requires 10 minutes uh to restore your magical connection and uh it just it just takes uh, it's an activity that you can do and this is what professor eric says if but if uh brother ramius is treating wounds on buggles uh Sydney uh, Asta should be refocusing because it's yeah. taking the same amount of time. And that's what you can do in that time is recharge that focus pool. So now do you eventually, cause I don't play it at all. Do you eventually get more focus spells and more focus pool points? Yeah. Focus spell. It depends on the class. It depends on the archetype. Focus spells can, you can unlock new focus spells at higher levels. Focus points, I believe unlock with some classes, uh, naturally as the class progresses, but there's also feats you can take to add focus powers or focus points. Is so there, are there feats or abilities that allow you to refocus to gain back more than one focus point? Yeah. I mean, that's what you get is like, if you, uh, if you take a feat that expands your focus pool to two, that would mean a given focus power could be used twice in a that's combat cool. instead of just once. And then, um, 10 minutes restores one point. So you would need 20 minutes to restore both. That's, That's kind really of the cool. Idea. Yeah. All right. I can, I can wrap my head around that. That is, that is. Yeah. Neat. It's a pretty cool function. So we'll, we'll make sure Sydney is up to speed on that. Somebody else in the comments was like uh, a fodder last week was like, uh, great. Glad to see Sydney getting these updates for the mages. And I'm sure we'll see these uh, changes come into effect seven weeks from now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you the funny thing is like last week's episode was, uh, we recorded that early January, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then last week we recorded tomorrow night's episode. Tomorrow night's episode. Yeah, we, yeah. we, we, we had some, some scheduling issues. And so like we're, we're playing catch up a little bit, but this, this is one of the close, this might be the closest we've had to like releasing from recording. It was like last Thursday, I think it'll be a week old. Yeah. It was really, really tight. So when you guys see tomorrow night's episode, like we just recorded that. <laughs> so, uh, but thanks for taking away Sydney's excuses for, uh, her. That's what I was. 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, so another interesting thing that Professor Eric brought up is the splitting, the spinning blade ball. And, and this is an interesting concept. It's size as a tiny creature. It is a tiny creature. This is something that people should keep in mind. Generally speaking, the default reach for a tiny creature is zero feet, which means it must be in the same square in order to do a melee or touch attack. Um, the default for large creatures is to have 10 feet of reach. However, there is some discussion on this in the community because some stat blocks list the reach and some don't. And even though we would consider these quote unquote defaults, Professor Eric is like, I think the general can general consensus consensus is to trust the trust the stat block. It will say reach zero or reach 10 if it is if it has those things. If it doesn't, then maybe you default to reach five. Not sure. But uh, it is something to keep in mind. Anytime you're GMing a tiny creature, look a little closer at the stat block and see if its reach is zero feet. That means it would have to be on the square with your out with the enemy in order to uh, melee touch or attack it. Uh, I'm looking right now and I it doesn't um, I don't see a listed reach. Right. Now, the primary method of attacking for this creature was the move and strike ability that it had. It explicitly right. allowed it to attack a creature along its path. Whirling so it doesn't slice. Right. It doesn't really matter here with this creature because it would be passing kind of through anyway. But, but it's it just has a blade attack. Mind. It has a blade attack. And that would have to be like a normal reach based attack. So I think if it doesn't say it should revert to the base for the size, which for tiny would be zero. Um, yeah. But so I'm, I'm just looking something to think about. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So he says the one action harm spell with a touch range would have required it to stop in Asta square. If it had reach zero, he says, I think this ended up correct, but the size tiny issues are always worth a refresher in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and also like if it's tiny, and has to move into your space, that would provoke an attack of opportunity. It makes it even more Correct. difficult for a tiny creature to do anything. So it would behoove the tiny creature to do anything but a melee attack because you're provoking. Correct. But far fewer creatures have AOS. Sure. So, uh, so uh, hopefully that, that ends up balancing out. Um, let's talk about it uh, again, this auger, this, this small blade ball, yep. uh, because at a certain point we get it down and it has regeneration. Mm -hmm. This is the first time that you uh, that I can remember in this campaign that we've dealt with an enemy creature having the dying condition. Is is that safe to say? That is safe to say. You know, as written, they're like you know in the in the core rulebook when a, when an enemy dies, usually it just dies. But it's up to the GM if you want to engage in the dying rules or have, keep it alive for questioning. And I pretty much just let them all die because I don't want to role play. Uh, <laughs> right. But when you get into regeneration, it's funny because like I was like, oh, regeneration as I'm doing my prep, sweet. Until we got into the uh, encounter, I was like, I didn't really think about like how this would affect the dying rules. I just, it didn't, I didn't make that connection in my head in my prep. So I was like, oh, okay, all right, let's figure this out. This is interesting. Yeah. So uh, this is another situation where Professor Eric is uh, impressed with the with uh, the players here because uh, players in GM, I, I guess, because we did get it right eventually. But he said, remember, if you're going to have an enemy that drops the dying condition, it moves to before the initiative of the person that put that's, it down. That's one thing we forgot. Yeah. Right. But we did end up getting it right during the episode. We figured yeah. that out. Uh, so, you know, but it, he said that's a very easy thing to miss because so often these creatures don't have the dying condition. They mm -hmm. just they just end. Uh, so, yeah, something to think about. 
Uh, also, uh, sorry. Oh, yeah. So when it goes down and it has its regeneration, right, comes back, it is uh, by the rules, I would think, right, prone. Mm-hmm. Because when you get the dying condition, you go prone, you drop everything in your hands unless you have a certain feat. And uh, it then revives itself and wakes up. But it is prone. This created an interesting conversation you and I had after the fact, uh, which was uh, let's let's look at uh, at the prone condition here. Uh, bring it up. Boom, 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 boom. All right. So from the player core, this is remaster prone. Uh, I don't think it really has any uh, changes besides uh, off guard rather than flat footed. But you're lying on the ground. You are off guard and you take a minus two circumstance penalty to attack rolls. The only move actions you can use while you're prone are crawl and stand. Well, there it is right there. There is the key right – sorry, this keeps coming up. Uh, There is the key right there. The only move actions you can use while prone are crawl and stand. The conversation that you and I had – it's so funny. You and I can get into these debates uh, going back a long time about flying. Seems yeah, oh, yeah. Flying always seems to create a bit of a uh, <laughs> a bit of a debate between us. So let's look at flying really quick. So fly has the trait move. That's it. The requirements are you have a fly speed. You move through the air up to your fly speed. Blah 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 blah. Do you see anything in here that indicates that if you were prone, you couldn't just launch off into the air in flight? Well, that's the way I ruled it because I didn't read the uh, the prone the, the specifics that, that of line prone. and prone. Yeah, because that supersedes it. To me, I'm like if if it hits the ground, I'm just going through like what makes the most sense. It hits the ground, it can fly. It just fucking flies and whirs through the air. But the fact is that where the fly has the move trait and prone says the only move actions you can take while you're prone, i.e., like can, can take without having to spend another action, are crawl and stand. Evidently, I cannot. I have to stand up from prone or like I have to remove the prone condition. Recenter yourself first yeah. and then you can set off. So it has to like start to hover and then it could go. And that makes that makes total sense. It's one of those like Russian doll nested rules that we just <laughs> in the heat of the moment uh, we don't uh, we miss. Yeah. You know, it's funny because a lot of people are like, why don't they just stop and edit it out? And like, we could very easily do that. But the reason I don't, and sometimes we do when like the discussions I know aren't going to be super easy, but like the reason we don't, and the same thing happened with the, uh, you know, the resizing of the, uh, the cloak on the centaur. The reason I leave that in is like, I want that, that to me feels like a home game. We're still, people expect us to be just masters of this game. And, and, and I'm sure there are people out there, the Professor Eric's of the world that are masters that are still learning every day, but we're, we're a real gaming group. That's, we're real friends who are learning this game. And I think it's interesting for us from time to time to be like, wait, how the hell does that work? Let's figure it out. And then it's a discussion. And sometimes you get bits out of that. And sometimes it's just, Oh, look at those are real people learning how to play this game in real time. And so we could have easily caught that we missed it and uh you know we that's that's the beauty of cannon fodder is we learn it after the fact yeah and also like there's something to be said for okay so two points on that one there's something to be said for our home game which is a game where a lot of times if it's a big deal we stop and look up the rule if we don't feel like it's that big of a deal we just move on and, yeah. and like that's just the way we've always played, and we can correct it later if we if we need to. But it, ultimately, we want to just keep the the action going, and not just because it's a show. It's before we had a show. We just wanted to play the game, and occasion you know we'd look up the rules when we felt we needed to. Yeah. The second point, though, is and I think this comes up in this case. 
We had no idea we were even remotely getting a rule wrong. You know, like it's not like somebody was like, do you have to spend an action to get up from prone to start flying? And somebody else was like the the Joe O'Brien was like, nah, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like we didn't address it. Like sometimes those just fly under the radar. These (laughs) ones. No pun intended. Right. These ones really are like it just totally passed us by in the moment. And I'm glad Professor Eric caught it. Thank you very much for bringing it up because yeah. it does have a direct mechanical impact, which is it had one less action, which means it didn't have the ability to attack uh, a Talitha. I think it did and make her bleed. You know what yeah. I mean? So like th- those things matter in the uh, economy of in the action economy of the episode. So it, it did factor in. But ultimately, nobody died. It's fine. Uh, speaking of which, all right, this is going to be a good one. I, I got to bring this up. Um, unfortunately, we're going to have to shorten listener mail a little bit, but I got to bring this up. Okay. The recall knowledge check heard around the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the natural 20 mm-hmm. on the uh, honeybees. This is going back a little bit, but you weren't on this episode. So the natural 20 recall knowledge. On the uh, honeybee, whatever the I'm sorry, the tooth fairies. I said honeybees. I was going to say honeybees. I the tooth fairy swarm. You you haven't been able year. to answer for this yet, uh, and I just wanted to uh, bring it up for <laughs> conversation. It's not really even answer for it. It's just this is a funny thing because a lot of people were like, "This is messed up." <laughs> it's a natural twenty where you decided to have a little fun with us uh-huh. and uh, give kind of false information and. The it's slightly false information. And actually, there is no literal false information. You just played on our assumptions and <laughs> led us to believe that the death throes of this creature would be so awful so as to uh, uh, create changes in our tactics in the fight that had us paranoid and playing all out of sorts. And at the end, you were like, ah, you know, gotcha. And I thought it was a really funny joke. Yeah. And it wasn't until re-listening that i was like wait that was on a natural 20 recall knowledge check <laughs> uh so anyway uh, uh speak for yourself listen i were know you just busy I, having fun with friends i just thought it was fun you guys were having <laughs> you guys were having fun there's really not much else to discuss you know the thing was totally, totally. you were like like a death rose and i'm like yeah like a death rose <laughs> Something happens when they die. They explode. And, and you know they can be damage, character killers. Yeah, they can be. In this case, you just get sickened. I don't know. I just thought it was really funny. It took a mundane encounter and made it a little more tense. But uh, it did. A- it certainly changed our tactics. Like, it certainly made us much more paranoid. And then it seemed like a it was like a prank, like your GM pranking yeah, you. I don't know. It was just fun. It just added to the sort of chaos. Like, I all of a sudden, I became a fey GM the way I was toying with that. Yeah. But I, I yes. know that I historically don't give a lot of information uh, or, or certainly give mixed information on uh, knowledge checks. And I really sh- probably shouldn't do that, especially in 2E where it costs you an action. But like, I just don't think a natural 20 means you know everything. And one of the toughest things is like, what information do you give? You know, when a character has a, a bunch of different things, just bringing up the Tooth Fairy Swarm, it has, uh, it's weak to area damage, five, cold iron, five, splash damage, five. It has resistances to bludgeoning, two, piercing, five, slashing, five. It has immunities to precision damage, and it has a, a the swarm mind immunity so that like mind affecting effects don't, uh, affect it differently. It has two different abilities, pinch, and then the three action pry if it ends up being able to like be in your space at the start of its turn and can do all three actions it can remove your tooth and it also has uh the ability to do this plaque burst thing so when you roll a natural 20 i'm just telling you the things that are 
I, I can't. I don't think I should tell you all of that stuff on a natural twenty. Now, maybe no, some GMs I, do. I, I agree with you, but I, I think that here's what I would do: is I would give the clear. There's clearly and obviously the most valuable information. Like the most valuable information is the the the, the three point difference between slashing resistance and bludgeoning resistance is important to know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, do not use slashing against it. Try to find something else. Yeah. Um. I'm trying to think of one other – like starting in the swarm square is is horribly really dead. Right? Yeah. Like, and you did say that. Um, uh, so, yeah. I mean I think that uh, what you have a tendency to do with successful recall knowledges is dispense lore. And – I start with the lore. And then, and then you forget that you were supposed to give mechanical useful things. But we have talked about this on fodder before because it is a good question you bring up. What do I reveal? You have this huge stat block of shit. It's only going to get worse as the, as the monsters get harder. This is where Professor Eric has mentioned before this kind of move to, and I think in the remaster, they address this in the GM core is this move to player gets a question. Player gets to ask the question of what the information they want. And just stick to that unless you really think that on a natural 20, you're like, they're going to be in real bad shape with this. I can give them one piece that could help save them. Like, you, that could be your prerogative. But if you're looking at it and you're like, there's a lot of things here. I don't really know what's valuable. Like, the ask the question uh, I almost version, always do I think, that. is a good idea. You know, the, the problem is, is if they're like, does it have any resistances? And if I say no. All right. Whose turn is it now? You know, it's like I say no. Then would you roll? Is there a no but? I'll give you something. You know, I usually try to give you something, but I like to start with the lore because I feel like it takes me out of the game when it's like, uh, would you roll knowledge? All right. 17. It has resistance slashing five. I like to get a little bit into the lore because I imagine it, 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 it focuses on the character having learned this information originally, whether it was a fairy tale that their grandmother told them or a book that they read. You know, I always tie back to stuff that you're learning about the first world to the time you spent in the quaking stacks. I'm really trying to get into that. So I start with yeah. the lore and then I try to tie that into the mechanics of the game just so that we don't it doesn't become a video game. But in doing that, I definitely don't always give as much information. But I'm going – people know that I'm a stingy information giver. On a nat 20, I should give you a little bit more. I was just having fun. And you guys had fun and that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. That is all that matters. Um, And I agree. I guess that – we've talked about this before on fodder. I'm, as I'm bringing up on Demiplane for the GM core, I'm seeing we've even put this up here before uh, about general versus unique and all that kind of stuff. The player asking a question. Um, published adventures often include a piece – hold on. I can just put this right on screen. Publishing uh, adventures also often include a uh, a piece of information characters can discover if they recall knowledge. If a player doesn't need to ask – a player doesn't need to ask the perfect question in order to get this knowledge. Mm-hmm. Feel free to feed it to them on any recall knowledge check that hits the DC, often in addition to answering their original question. So that's flat out answering your question, which is if they say, are there any resistances? And you know that there's no information there. You can be like, no – but they, have they do have a weakness to this, and that's yeah. all I'm going to give you. Um, you know, it's – as a GM, it's always a balancing act. But the one thing that I'll say – I don't know how recently I've said this on Can of Fodder, but this has been in my belief system in running games for the last decade. And that is 
don't fall into the, and I'm telling you this now because I think, I think, I think you're falling into it. Don't fall into the trap that speaking in pure mechanics is playing a video game or taking it out of the narrative. Sometimes the mechanics are the way to translate what your character is seeing that, that you're not seeing. For sure. For it's sure. really important sometimes to say like, his AC is 38. You just, I'll just tell you that. And then you know your character is seeing something they cannot hit. They, they would know that they would know if they were looking at a fiend that was 18th level <laughs> that descended down to fight them. Like you, you don't have to, you now, you know, you have to bargain for your life. You don't have to worry about describing it in any greater detail, because as much as you say it has huge muscles and smoking eyes and a huge ax, like you don't want, you also don't want to tell them you can't fight it. But if yeah. you simply say it's AC is 38 on a recall knowledge, <laughs> they'll be like, Oh, now I see what I'm looking at. You yeah. know what I mean? So that's just uh, one example. I can't example, imagine but, me ever saying that, but, uh, but it's just it's, an it's example. It's AC is this. Yeah. It's oh, an I'm example, sure there are people know. that do it and, and that's fun. You know, we got to play around with it. But yeah, and, I think mechanics can be a good way to translate that. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, uh, I, agree. To, I agree. To, to understand what the characters are saying. All right. Let's get a quick listener mail in here. And thank you again, Professor Eric, for all that detail. It was yes. fantastic. He, he also mentions that we figured out that, uh, when you were healed to full, your bleed stops. We did figure that out by the yeah, end. Clutch. Kate brought that up. So thank you, Kate, for bleeding that up. Uh, and that is from the player core page 409. He Kate. points it out, and then he says, Kate called this out correctly later. So thank you, Kate's Professor Kate's doing Eric. her homework. We appreciate it. Yeah, Kate, doing her homework. Kate. I love it. Uh, all right, Nick, sing us in. Let's get a question from the nation, <laughs> and then get out of here. All right, we're going to keep it quick today. I'm sorry we ran a little short on time. Uh, I've got one from AJ. I've got one from David. You guys are going to be in future weeks, okay? I'm just going to bump it, but you will be in future weeks. Let's go to Dan. Uh, Dan from Emu Plains, I think. Emu Plains, New South Wales, Australia. International edition of Listener Mail. Um Says, hey, guys, longtime listener and member of the nation. It's so great seeing Foundry VTT being used for Gatewalkers. Can Troy give any insights into modules he is using alongside the official Gatewalkers premium content? Is there anything that you're using in there? Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I just logged out. So let me log back in. You know, when when we were making the switch and we didn't announce it for months and I was spending time learning it, I was watching videos of people um, to see, you know, not only how they use it, but like what mods they like. Um, and of course, a lot of those were outdated by the time I was jumping in, but um, some have been updated, some have changed. And I've learned a lot uh, just in playing like mods that I was way into to begin with, I no longer use. And then some I probably have active that I'm not even currently using uh and some that i need to spend more time with like the animations we've started playing around with the animations for conditions um i know i can do more with that and with macros it's just a matter of like you know kind of prioritizing putting in the time yeah what we're doing but uh just taking a look here manage modules um so i have automated animations on uh, I have oh God, the, I the uh, animations, man. They, they are the thing that's really taking this to the next level for me. JB2A, Jewel, and Ben's animated assets. 
I don't know which of those I'm using, to be honest, uh, or if I'm using, I, one of them I think is doing the animated conditions, but there's other stuff that, uh, one of those does, or maybe both of those does. Like if you cast fireball, I have an animation that like make a huge fireball. It's with, with, there's so much fucking shit going on while we're playing. I'm not like, Oh wait, hold on. Let me also get a fireball. But that's something I could, you know, set up macros for and have those, uh, be laid out. It just hasn't been like a priority. One that I think is as a pathfinder GM, uh, or, yeah, mainly a GM, not really a player. It is like the only must have, uh, module. Um, and you got to buy it. It's the Pathfinder token pack bestiaries. It has every single, uh, monster from the Pathfinder bestiaries. And as new bestiaries come out, uh, it, it gets updated on Foundry and you can just drag oh, it that gets monster. Updated. You don't have to buy another bestiary. Yeah, as far as collection. I know, you don't have to buy it again. It's just going to be like a forever purchase. Um, we get it for free, but, uh, you drag it over. It automatically, uh, <laughs> like, I have another mod called tokenizer that, uh, you know, allows you to create tokens, the like sort of round thing around the yeah. players things. But once I have that set up, I drag any monster from the best Jerry over boom it's a token ready to go i click on that monster and it links directly uh to the best Jerry from pathfinder that is like such uh such a must-have pf2e animation macros I'm, I'm not currently using that and then there are uh this, the other ones are just kind of uh, I'm not really using a lot of mods, I guess. Oh, really? I, was... I thought you were using like a light one. I thought you were using yeah, so a Fog of War one or something. Originally, the plan, well, it's sort of like early iterations of figuring out how we were going to employ Foundry. I was going to be using Fog of War. Um, not Fog of War in the way we did it on the other VTT, but like a sort of adapted version that also used lighting because I was just concerned about the way the lighting was working. And so I had to see it in action. And so part of SideQuest side sesh was really like getting to just throw it to the wolves and see how it worked. And I realized that the, the lighting makes it so much easier. I just wanted to set it up to have it work the way that it's currently working. And that took some time so that like you could only see what you saw, but once a player revealed it, you could kind of see a dimmed version of it. But if there was a creature that you couldn't see, you couldn't see. And so that only I could open the doors because you you that happened in this episode with the centaur. Like you opened the door and Sydney was like, Oh shit. I was like, what? What do you see? Is that that token for the centaur was so imposing. Uh, it created a really fun stress environment that I think mimicked what was happening with the characters, you know? Yeah. So I was using a, a lighting mod, uh, early on that now, uh, you don't need anymore. Pathfinder does it all. The, the Pathfinder sort of system for Foundry. It, it, it's incorporated, I think, a lot of those early modules into the base thing of Pathfinder. Um, it really is remarkable. I can't imagine how anyone is playing Pathfinder virtually any other way. It is, it is, it is clearly the best. And I'm not just saying that as a shill. Um, it's, it's really been wonderful. Uh, you know, obviously we're not using the character sheets because we, uh, we use Demiplane, but, uh, if you're using the character sheets, it, there's so much functionality between, you know, the way that you can put conditions on and have it affect your sheet, the way you can track your, your hit points and your, the, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things that we're not even using, but, uh, if you've got a home gain and you're doing it virtually, boundaries the way to go. Awesome. Uh, and then a real quick thank you and listener mail to Giovanni from Glendale, New York, who wrote in, not with a question, but with suggestions for places to eat in Toronto. Oh. So uh, I'm going to have to send that along to you. Uh, we will see you there, Giovanni. Thank you so much for the uh, for the tips. The well, tips. I, I heard the Chinese food in Toronto is insane. Oh, I love Chinese. Dude, we got to get some dumplings. <laughs> get some dumplings. Some general sauce. 
Man, the theme of dumps through this whole episode has been uh, it's been amazing. All right, let's let's get on out of here. Uh, AJ from North Carolina, I'm going to come to you uh, later. And David, I really like your uh, get in the trunk question. We'll come to that in another week. I'm sorry we couldn't get to it now, but it's coming. It's coming down the line. Thank you, uh, everybody, for hanging out with us, chilling and uh, doing a little fod, getting your uh, your dose of the fod juice. And it's good to have Troy back. Uh, thank you again to Sydney for jumping in for Troy last week. That was really fun. But uh, it's good to be back uh, with the with the old old school fod. Um, hopefully, I mean, we got to talk about this. We might even we might have to be back in studio next week. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll talk about it. But in t- I see Troy is checked out. I will see you guys. On, well, look, Thursday <laughs> night. Uh, then the next episode of Gatewalkers is on YouTube. Friday afternoon, 12 o'clock Eastern. Come by and see me take a little Pacific Drive. A weird new video game. It's going to be awesome. Until then, take it easy, everybody. Have a good one. We'll see you next week. Bye. Guess who I am? I don't know. The Mouth of Sauron. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But goodbye. It's time to make your membership official. Become an official member of the Nash today at jointhenash.com. That's jointhenash.com, where you'll get access to exclusive podcasts and live streams you can't find anywhere else. See what everybody's talking about and join the Nash today at jointhenash.com. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.